Hi, everyone. It's Erin, and this is another episode of my totally grassroots podcast, Causes or Cures. I say that in case my dog barks, and because I do all of these via Skype interviews, and sometimes the connection isn't super great or we get some white noise. We had a little white noise and interference in this one, but I did my best to edit it out, and um, that doesn't take away from how interesting or enlightening my guests have been. Dr. Christy Huff is no exception. Christy is a cardiologist by training. She's a mom, and she is going to describe her experience with benzodiazepines, or as they are commonly known, benzos, drugs like Xanax and Ativan that are commonly prescribed by GPs. Christy, like many people, took the pills as prescribed, but she experienced something, well, absolutely awful. And I want to emphasize that there are many people like Christy who take their medication as prescribed and they have horrible experiences and they often don't know who to turn to or what to turn to. And they make up something called the prescribed harm community. And sadly, often doctors and stakeholders don't know how to address their symptoms at the least and belittle their experiences at the worst. In fact, Christy serves as director of the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, which is a grassroots organization to help educate people about the potentially adverse effects of benzodiazepines. So let's take a listen and hear Christy's story. All right, guys, on the line, we have Dr. Christy Huff, and she's going to tell us about benzodiazepine withdrawal. Um, so anyways, Christy, hi. Um Aaron. <laughs> You're down in Texas, right? Yes, I am in Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth, Texas. All right. Um, anyhow, okay. So let's just let's just start. Um, you are you're a cardiologist, also. Um, I by training, right? Yes, I am. I'm not currently practicing. I'm a stay at home mom, but yes, I am a cardiologist. Right. Um, you did a lot of training, though. So that involves a lot. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the, the your journey with benzodiazepines. When you started taking them, why you started taking them, obviously they're a very common, commonly prescribed drug. A lot of people use them, um, but in your words. Okay, so I had taken benzodiazepines only very occasionally for flying uh, for a number of years and never had a problem. Uh, the problems uh, for me began when I started to take them on a daily basis so back in August of 2015, I developed a very severe case of dry eye syndrome. And I know it sounds silly, dry eye syndrome, but the pain was awful. Uh, probably mm -hmm. one of the awful, most awful pains you could experience. And I was losing my vision, had to use eye drops every five minutes. And I couldn't sleep because of the pain. And I was also terrified because the eye treatments weren't helping. Yeah. Uh, so I started taking what was considered to be a low dose of Xanax daily, um, just at night, 0.25 milligrams while my doctors were trying to treat the eye problem. And I wasn't really worried about this because I had taken them occasionally to fly, no problem. And uh, I knew this was just going to be a temporary thing until I got through this crisis. And um, I knew that they were addictive. That's what I've been taught in med medical school, but I didn't have a history of abuse or tendency yeah. toward addiction. So I thought I was safe. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a common uh, belief as well, that if you're not if you're not prone to addictive behavior, why worry? Exactly. Um, so did you experience any side effects 
while you were taking them daily? Yeah, so in the beginning, no, I did not. In fact, it was great for the first couple of weeks. Uh, I still obviously had the eye problem, but I could finally sleep. And then about three weeks in, some really strange things started to happen. And it was really subtle at first to the point that I didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, first, I just had some anxiety uh, during the daytime hours that I just first attributed to the fact that I was in this medical crisis. And then yeah. I developed a tremor and um, I started to think I had some type of neurological condition and so did my doctors. So I was being evaluated for um, all these different conditions. I uh, saw many different doctors, my primary care doctor, rheumatologist, several neurologists. I had a lot of expensive testing done and nothing turned up. And during this time, nobody ever mentioned the medication could be causing a problem. And I just kept getting sicker and sicker. I started having trouble breathing, swallowing. And, and this is why you're still on them. Yeah, this is why I'm still okay. on them. And um, I was waking up three hours after going to sleep in a blind panic with my heart racing. Um, and by this time, I was having to dose Xanax uh, during the day to help deal with these new symptoms I had developed. And I thought I was just treating my anxiety. Oh. Uh, so, so my doctors just assumed this was all psychological and all the testing came back negative. So I was referred for a biofeedback session, and the psychologist asked me to hold my Xanax dose for uh, 12 hours per session. And I completed the session, but then I ended up lying on the floor of her office with all my muscles severely contracted, chest so tight I could not breathe. And when I took a Xanax, all the symptoms melted away, and a light bulb went off at that moment. And I was thought, well, my body is dependent. This is the problem. Um, and I've been having withdrawal symptoms all these, this time. So I went to the internet. I discovered the web forum Benzo Buddies, which is, you know, a forum for people withdrawing from benzodiazepines. Yeah. And that confirmed my suspicions. Um, I had been experiencing interdose withdrawal, uh, basically withdrawal symptoms between scheduled doses. And that can occur with short half-life medications such as Xanax. And that's really interesting because I, because you're, you're, uh, usually think of withdrawal as like when you stop the medication. Exactly. And so that's, that's why I didn't really pick up at first what was going on. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody would. You don't learn about that stuff. I don't, I mean, I didn't learn about it in med school. Yeah, I definitely did not. It was not even on my radar screen. So when did you decide that you're going to stop taking these pills? So that was basically the moment that I just described um, in that biofeedback mm. session where I realized, hey, this is the problem. And I knew from then on that I just I needed to get off the medication, that it, it was what was making me so ill. OK, so then so you told your doctor that you were getting off the pills. That was my plan. And I actually even had tried on my own uh, before I was able to get in with my doctor. I tried to reduce uh, the dose of Xanax that I was taking, but the withdrawal symptoms were just so strong. So I went back to the initial prescriber and told her what was going on. And she basically said, no, that, that can't be right. There's no way you're dependent on this stuff. You've just been on it for a few weeks. Um, this is all anxiety. You just have really bad anxiety and mm. you need to, uh, take an SSRI. And I said, I need to really? get off 
Yeah, I need, yeah, I said, I need to take, get off this medication. Um, that's the problem. And I, I begged her to, I had actually researched and discovered the Ashton method online. I would recommend switching to Valium because of the longer half-life. Right. Makes it easier to taper. And right. she just said, no, you, another benzo is not going to help you. And, you know, I begged her to give me enough medication for a taper. So she gave me a three-week supply, which was definitely not going to be enough. Um, so it, it took and me. And she a was a psychiatrist. This was my the pri- my primary doctor, the nurse practitioner, okay, my doctor's office that had initially prescribed it. Okay, and that's very common, by the way, for everyone listening. It's it's not just it's most. I mean, primary care physicians maybe do most of the prescribing. I don't have the statistics, but I've heard. I don't know if this is correct, but around eighty percent of the prescriptions are from the. Did you end up taking the the SSRI? Or did- I actually did for a few days, just hoping that it would help me um, with my benzo taper. And it shot my anxiety through the roof. Uh, I couldn't really? handle it. So I, I actually ended up having an adverse reaction to that. And just as an aside, they later did genetic testing on me and found out I don't metabolize those well. So that was definitely not oh. a choice for me. So I, I lasted a few days on that and had to stop it. So... In terms of any kind of guidance, did you get any from your doctor or anything at all? From my primary care doctor, she just said you can taper off in three weeks, cut the pills in half every week, and then be done. Uh, And it was going to be a a three-week taper. Obviously, I had already tried on my own. I knew this was not going to work. So I searched, and it took me a couple of months, and I, I found a psychiatrist in town. And I brought the Ashton manual into his office and he believed me, thankfully. And so he helped me transition over to Valium and I was actually able to stabilize at 15 milligrams and oh, what a welcome relief that was from the terrible interdose symptoms I was having with Xanax. Um, And then as far as guidance, I decided to use the Ashton manual as a start. He was with me the whole way, you know, but he did you just say what that is for people who don't know? Sure. So the Ashton manual is um, basically the culmination of the work of Dr. Heather Ashton. She ran a benzodiazepine withdrawal clinic in the UK mm-hmm. in the 90s. And she actually followed and helped taper patients off long-term benzo prescriptions. And so she is probably the best amount of clinical experience uh, that okay. we that's documented. It's, it's a really great starting point for anybody uh, that's wanting to taper off a of benzodiazepine. Now, I will say that sometimes it is too fast. I initially tried to follow her protocol. So I, I cut a milligram from my 15 milligram dose, like it says on her protocol. And that basically plunged me into the pits of hell. Wow. Uh, all symptoms. And so I had to end up, I ended up going much slower than her protocol. And so we're talking now, like, you're on, you've been on these for about, what, six weeks or how long when you started to follow the protocol? I was, so in August, August was when I started. A few weeks in, I noted problems, and then I started going for help. It took me, it was basically the end of October, early November, when I was able to get in with the psychiatrist, and he started transitioning me from Valium to Xanax. So it was, it was a good few months by the time I was able to actually find somebody. But we're not talking about years. No, not years. Year. 
And like I said, I, I got sick pretty early on. And if, if someone had been willing to help me earlier, it would have been even, even less. So then it, it took me, it took me about five to six weeks to transition from Xanax to Valium, because that's a good note. You can't just directly switch from one to the other. You need to give Valium some time to build up in your system while you're coming off the, the Xanax. And Ashton actually has a crossover protocol where you substitute a little bit of Valium uh, for some of your Xanax dose or, you know, whatever benzodiazepine that you're on. Right. So there, there's a, there's a method of doing it where it, it it's safer than just doing a direct switch. In terms of what you experience, what, what are the worst things that you experienced um, and maybe continue to? Sure. Um, so I'll tell you, once I was transitioned over to Valium, it took me three years and almost three months to taper off. Oh, wow. Um, Yes, it was a very long time. And people always ask me, could you have gone faster? And the answer is, well, I could have, but I would have been uh, very incapacitated and I had a child to take care of. And, you know, I, I suffered enough even with the rate that I was going. So it was difficult to go faster. But I actually documented up to 80 different withdrawal symptoms during my taper. And I even... 80? And I started actually... I know it, it's actually absolutely ridiculous. I mean, but it it, it affects your nervous system, and that that basically affects every organ system in your body. Uh, so, That's true. That's I true. I would say that the worst for me, I experienced crushing fatigue sometimes so bad I could not even move. Um, I would wake up in the mornings with this horrible chemical terror. And I mean, I wouldn't even call it anxiety. It's just full blown terror. Like you're about to be eaten by a bear. Um, horrible cognitive problems where I, you know, forget to how to do civil tasks or basic math, um, losing my memory, uh, severe yeah. nausea and stomach problems, dizziness so bad I couldn't stand up, pounding heart, sensitivity to light and sound and muscle weakness. Towards the end of my taper, I had a hard time even just um, changing my clothes because my muscles were so weak. And uh, and then this inner tremor, inner tremor, like I was plugged into an electrical socket at all times. And, and that's just some of what I experienced that probably the, the worst of it. And it was um, utterly disabling and a torture it's hard to even describe and while some moments are better than others you really never have a break from these symptoms and just as an example how it affected my life many days I was bedridden unable to do basic tasks like shower or cook a meal for myself or my family care for my child or, or drive just basic things that people do every day and take for granted I think too basically destroying the life that you had or knew it's just a complete it's just a complete 180 yes it was, and, it was better destruction and I'll say now I'm starting to get some improvements and it's it's almost like waking up from the the dead I'm starting to see things that I've been missing out on all these years or things that I haven't been able to do it's it's really pretty amazing like a re like a an awakening a reawakening exactly when did you become part of I know, I know you're very involved with the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. So maybe talk a little bit about that. It's, it's a grassroots effort, right? Yes. Um, so 
the organization back before I joined it was started in August of 2016. And it was, it is a grassroots effort by a group of patients that were injured by benzodiazepines who saw that nobody was dealing with this problem and they wanted to raise awareness and advocate for change. So their mission is um, to educate about the adverse effects of prescribed benzodiazepines. And I first got involved a couple of months after they formed in October of that year uh, because they, they reached out to me because I was a physician going through this withdrawal process and they wanted mm-hmm. me to share their story, share my story on their website, which I gladly did. And then later on in 2017, they were looking for a director. And so I took that position and I've been working with them ever since. And really that they're doing some great things. It's- and I think this, uh, from what I've seen on, and, and you guys are very active on social media, which is, and that's kind of how people who are experiencing withdrawal symptoms, they, they search on social media and then they find you because otherwise they'd kind of be left out there hanging and just not knowing where to turn. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of people find us through, through social media and I had the exact same experience. The information is you're just not getting it from your physician. So people are forced to come to the internet to find other people suffering and figure out, you know, how to taper and even figure out what's going on with them. Right. And then, you know, you hear a lot, oftentimes people who question any sort of medication, they're like, oh, you're fueling a stigma. And you're like, no, we're just, (laughs) we're just asking questions. Uh, We're not pill shaming. We're just asking questions about these pills. That drives me nuts when I see that. Yes. It's, I get that pretty frequent. They, they don't want us to share our stories because they, they say it is pill shaming. And I I don't think that's the case at all. It's definitely not the case. Uh, You're, your experience is as valuable as somebody who's had a positive experience and it and in no way, shape or form takes away from their positive experience. The issue of informed consent, if people aren't getting the full story, yes. if, if we're not allowed to tell these stories of harm, then how are good people going to get the full story and be able to make the best decision regarding their health? 100%. And I see it with in even mental health advocates, uh, they tend to you know, sometimes the ones who are, whether sponsored by big farm or whatever, they're, they're like, Oh, that's pill shaming. I'm like, no, it's not. It's, these are people who've have experiences that need to be heard. And that's actually a good segue into my next question. Suicides. There's so much today going on with um, suicide prevention. And when we talk about the prescribed harm community, as kind of being ignored or told to hush. But in your experience, there is the potential for suicide here. I mean, a high risk for suicide. Am I wrong? Or what What, what have you seen? Oh, you're on the inside. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. Unfortunately, um, the risk of suicide is extremely high in these harmed individuals. And I, I can tell you just first off from my personal experience, I did experience suicidal ideation during my taper. And it was for two very different reasons. Okay. First, I had this overwhelming impulse to harm myself that just came out of the blue. There was really no reason for it. And I knew that was one of my withdrawal symptoms because it would show up in conjunction with the other symptoms when they were severe. And, you know, I knew that was going on and I just had to tell myself, hey, you know, don't don't end it. Um, You've been 
in this situation before. You're going to come through this wave of symptoms and come out the other side. And it would, like clockwork, that's what would happen. And I'd make it through. The other one that I think gets people pretty often is just the relentless nature of these symptoms. I mean, you were so sick. And these symptoms, like I said before, are 24-7. And you get to the point where you just can't stand living that way another second. And that seems like a good way to get out. So, um, and it's terrible. So, but beyond my own experience, this is discussed in the literature. If you um, look at the FDA medication guides for each benzodiazepine, it warns about increased risk of suicidal thoughts or behavior due to benzos. Um, and I looked up a review article by Tyler Dodds in 2017, and he evaluated 17 studies uh, linking benzodiazepines with study, or sorry, benzodiazepines with suicide. And they had a, um, most of them had a positive correlation with attempted or completed suicide. And he concluded that some of these suicides may actually be due to the withdrawal or rebound effect of the drug. And sure. we need more research to figure out the safest manner to taper these people on benzos that are at risk of suicide. And then just as far as what we see with BIC, I've been tracking the suicides in the support groups since I started back in 2017. Uh, I know for a fact there's around 30 suicides that happened just in the last year that we can document. Wow. And um, the one of our most recent ones was, you know, my friend Shelly. Yeah, that, I saw that. That I was new from Twitter, and so I've had several friends personally that have committed suicide uh, directly related to benzodiazepines, and it's it's just heartbreaking because there's little to no medical resources or treatment for these affected individuals, and you know they pay the ultimate price. How do you respond? Uh, first, I'm sorry about Shelly because I, I saw your I, I obviously I follow you on Twitter, and I, I saw that, and I. I, was, I think I was I followed her as well, and she had some just devastating stories and updates all the time. So it was really sad. How do you respond to statements like, "Well, this didn't happen to me," or, or "This didn't happen to the plethora of my patients," as some doctors say? And they sort of, even if they don't say the words, they make you feel like you're not believable or you're somehow fabricating your experience. That has to be super frustrating. It is. It is very difficult. And I'll say that withdrawal is a spectrum and no people are going to be alike. And the problem that you run into is, yes, a subset of people coming off benzodiazepines will not have withdrawal or, or they'll have a very easy withdrawal. And then the rest of us that have an extremely difficult time, it makes us look like there's something wrong with us. But this is absolutely not the case. There's right a subset that it's just extremely difficult for us. And so we, we run into problems with families and healthcare professionals and understanding when someone is having a difficult time. But as I said, this is a very, very real phenomenon. And we have a very large group of people online sharing their stories of harm. Uh, just to give you an example, the membership on Benzo Buddies is over 50,000 members. And wow. Benzo these, Buddies. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's been growing and growing and these people just, they deserve to be heard and not discounted. And it's probably going to get, you know, when we talked about the, the opioid epidemic and a lot of people kind of, and benzodiazepines are commonly prescribed. So I feel like, I mean, and people refer to that as like the next epidemic or like 
or maybe it already is one. Um, but not only dealing with like overdose situations and combinations with opioids or whatnot, but also I think withdrawal and the fact that it's so not addressed um, by convention is going to be a problem, a bigger problem. Yes, it is. And I think one of the side effects of the opioid epidemic is that people are getting to be cut off their benzodiazepines um, often very abruptly. Uh, and, yeah. And we're getting the fallout from that, even all these stories and people writing emails begging us to help find doctors to help them do a proper taper because you just can't cut people off directly from benzodiazepines it's extremely dangerous people can die and if they live through the experience uh, they might have neurological issues afterwards lasting years what just a final question how do you think the medical professionals should respond to this? And how do you think the drug companies should respond to this? Sure. So first regarding medical professionals, they need to be educated and also educate themselves. Um, and basically on two topics, they need to be educated on safe prescribing practices and then also protocols for deprescribing. So for the, um, the prescribing aspects, these things are meant for short-term or intermittent use. Short-term is defined by less than, as less than two to four weeks by most of the guidelines. Um, you can reference the New York City or the Pennsylvania benzo prescribing guidelines. Um, and for patients that are already on them, I do think tapering off should be a choice. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of instances of forced tapers. Uh, but as far as educating on tapering, the Astro Manual is a great place to start, and I've already spoken about that, um, but basically it's recognizing that some people may need to go slower. The key is a slow taper guided by the patient's symptoms, right. a good of them being no more than 5 to 10% every two to four weeks. Um, and also benzoinfo.com, BIC's website, has a wealth of resources and articles about benzodiazepines. And then once the physician is educated, they need to be ensuring adequate informed consent. And I even am a proponent of written informed consent because these drugs are, are so dangerous. And I actually penned an informed consent form, which is on the resources section of our website. Um, another thing I'd like to mention is I think the FDA labels, the warnings on the FDA labels should be stronger on these drugs. Uh, they do not currently mention neurological damage or the potential difficulty of tapering, that it can take somebody years to get off the drug, that information needs to be there. And I'd go so far as to say that benzodiazepines should carry a box warning, which is the FDA's strongest warning. Uh, there is one out there for the combination of benzodiazepines and opioids, but not benzos alone. Right. Um, and as far as the drug companies, yes, ideally they should take responsibility. Uh, I believe these harm patients are due compensation. They Many have lost everything, their health, their job, housing, families, the list just some their lives. I mean, the list just goes on. Uh, but the problem is these medications are all generic at this point. So it's really hard to get somebody interested in pursuing a class action lawsuit. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that, I didn't even think of that, but you're absolutely right about that. Um, thank you, Christy. And just to thanks so much for sharing your story. I think it's it's changing lives. It's definitely fueling an important conversation that we need to have. And 
the ben it's what is the website is it benzo benzodiazepine information coalition.com it's benzoinfo.com benzoinfo.com all right so that's where everybody can go if uh, they want more information and there's a lot of stuff on there good guidance so thank you yes all right guys i think we got slightly cut off there um Thank you for listening. I think Kirsty has a really important story to tell, and as do a lot of people in the prescribed harm community. And to me, it's very sad that a lot of their stories um, are not being heard and not being heard by people who should be making some decisions um, to better to improve informed consent and 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 improve the patient experience. Basically, um, that's that's what it should be about. Uh, so hopefully, we'll hear more. Um, of their stories from the prescribed harm community on here. I'll do my best um, to utilize my podcast for that purpose. And um, for other episodes of Causes or Cures, please consider subscribing on iTunes, or you can find other episodes or more interviews in my blog at bloomingwellness.com. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. Till next time.